0: Welcome back. It's time for Customers Who Click. I've got another amazing DTC business on the podcast today as I'm talking with Serge Popovich, the Chief Marketing Officer at Crossrope. We're going to be talking through the biggest contributors' growth at Crossrope these last few years and the challenges they'll be facing over the next year. In particular, a challenge that a lot of e commerce brands will be facing as well. Before we get started, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please do go rate it on iTunes super helpful and helps the podcast reach more people. Let's hear from Serge now. Hi, Serge. Thanks for joining me today. Do you want to just really quickly introduce yourself, uh, what you're up to these days?
1: Of course. Yeah. Well, thanks
0: for having me on the show.
1: Uh, My name is Serge. Uh, I'm the CMO at Crossrope. We're a portable fitness brand. We've been in the space for about eight, nine years now. It's been... uh, Pretty wild and crazy growth over the last half decade. Last year in particular was, was a wild year. And so, yeah, I'm excited to, to chat about um, you know what we've been up to.
0: Yeah, I can imagine the last year was, was pretty good for you, uh, lockdowns and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, considering everything, we've been super fortunate to be in a position where we're able to you know, really help people out um, and be there for those looking for a convenient and uh, home workout. So, yeah, it's been a, it was a crazy year. Um, you know, 2021 is feels almost crazier.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it's surprising that uh, this is being recorded in September already. Feels like this has been a quick year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to believe. It's honestly uh, that October and Q4 are just around the corner. Uh, but here we are.
0: Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's, uh, let, let's jump into it. Um, what do you, you think has been one of those, the biggest contributors to growth at, uh, at Crossroad.
1: Yeah, growth. uh, I mean, I'd say, I think about three things. Um, I mean, there are a lot of things, but three things in particular, I think really had or were were strong drivers for us. I think um, one would be partnering with the right affiliates um, and finding the right partners. So I I mean that in two ways on the affiliate side. I mean, we've been very fortunate to just find some really fantastic content creators, YouTubers, et cetera, uh, that are really bought into the brand, the lifestyle and everything that we do. And they've really helped us, um, you know, build awareness, get people jumping. You know, the, the jump rope space is a very small little niche. So um, we've been fighting really hard to expand that and grow the jump rope fitness category. And affiliates have played a big part in that. And the other side on the partners is just we've... We've been uh, fortunate to partner with some amazing agencies over the years, and we've really leveraged their insights and know-how and you know, love when they're able to share what's working with other brands. So we've been able to really lean on those elements. I'd say building a community uh, is another component to the growth uh, formula for us. We were fortunate to really get started early in the whole private Facebook group element. And... You know, one of our first growth strategies is running free fitness challenges. Through that, we've been able to build a community of about 100,000 members. Um, and it's been fantastic, a uh, tool for us and to really bring in new members, expose new members to, to our to the Crossroad brand, to the Jump Rope Fitness lifestyle. And so that's been a, a great uh, tool for us even to, to this day. And I'd say over the last couple of years, um, the third element to the growth formula has really been the the investment in the creative side. Uh, You know, obviously today creative is more and more important than it's ever been on the paid advertising side. Uh, We've been really laser focused on working with the right partners, the right content creators to really um, promote the jump rope fitness lifestyle and, you know, test dozens and dozens and dozens of creatives along the way. So I'd say Partnering with the right affiliates, building a community along the way and investing really investing in creative have been uh,
0: contributors to growth for us great cool well let's uh, let's just explore each of those points a little bit um, the affiliates side do you find have you guys had to really proactively go out and find these affiliates or have you found that they're actually some of the best ones have kind of just naturally popped up
1: I mean initially it was definitely the former uh, it was it was on us to go out there and find uh, find people again. The in the early years, again, the jump rope fitness space was really small. So, anytime you see anybody using a jump rope or your product, I mean, it's it, it makes it really easy to connect and, and get that relationship going. So, that's how some of the first ones materialized, and some of the best ones um, over the years, as we've grown and the jump rope fitness category has grown, a lot of them have been inbound as well. Um, so we've established a lot of great relationships and, and we like the inbound ones. I mean, that come for the right reasons, uh, you got to put the right filtering mechanisms in place to make sure you're finding, you know, uh, affiliates and partners that are really invested and interested in seeing the, the, the category grow, uh, not just your, not just your, your company or brand. So, um, for us, it's been a mix, uh, but more of the inbound over the past few years than we've had
0: in the initial stages. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean about finding the right people or you know, filtering, making sure that you engage with the right people because it, it can be it can be quite tempting to accept anyone, right? Especially early on. They, you know, request to be a, an affiliate and you're just and you might just be thinking, All right, cool, it's someone who's gonna promote the brand.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, don't get me wrong, you in the early days it was, hey, anybody who we can get. We'll we'll connect with and we'll try. It was it was a lot of experimentation, Um, and even to this day, I mean, sometimes you know, you know, we've got our guidelines and guardrails in place from a filtering mechanism. But at the end of the day, you, you really don't know until you try. So we, whenever we come to you know new partnerships, there's always a vetting process and a testing process up front. Let's try one or a couple different you know, uh, campaigns together, collaborations or sponsored videos, whatever it might be. You know, we set our goals and targets. And then we just assess, hey, if there's something here uh, and your audience really resonates with our brand, then we have, you know, next moves ready and available. And we're always interested in the long-term relationships far more than the short-term little pushes, right? But you got to start with those short-term ones to really find where those audiences resonate.
0: Yeah, and I suppose uh, some of those short-term kind of quick wins might generate you some of those affiliates and partners who are going to do really well for you. You know, especially if it's social media, right? Uh, if you get someone who comes along, promotes it, but it doesn't do too well, there might still be someone who sees it and goes, "Wow, this is amazing!" You know, yeah, I, I need, I need to get on this.
1: Yeah, I mean, I come back. I, I yeah, I come from a from an affiliate marketing background, like back in the day when you know before Crossrope, so. Uh, that was a space I was very familiar with, but it's sort of evolved and changed over the years. Um, so today, I mean, it's, again, we've had far greater success with those that really buy into the brand. Um, who are looking for, like, who are playing the long game um, and we can build you know, a lasting relationship where they really understand the product and the value propositions and how it fits into people's lives, like, and, and they can sell it the way we do. Um, you know, that's where we saw the best success. We've had some sh- small to moderate success with the short-term plays, but it, it's just not comparable. And over the years, we just really decided to focus on the long-term partnerships. And that's where, you know, that's where the vetting process uh, really comes in handy. You got to know who you who you want to work with, you know, so.
0: Yeah. And do these people tend to be kind of individuals? So like influencers, basically?
1: Yeah, over the years, I mean, as the influencer marketing space has grown, it's been, you know, content creators, influencers, etc. But even, yeah, even in the early years, and maybe that's where we had a little bit of fortuitous luck, just being early in that space, working with content creators and partners and really establishing lifelong partnerships to almost um, that have grown over the years that would be really difficult to replicate I feel in today's day and age
0: okay yeah um, and yeah on the the sort of Facebook side so is this um, do you use it to gather feedback and uh, and kind of crowdsource uh, yeah feedback and ideas from the audience or is it more of a part of the service it's something they get as as being a customer and it's more about giving value to them
1: you're talking about the private facebook group yeah yeah, yeah. so the private facebook group i mean most brands i've seen at least over the past couple of years as facebook groups have blown up are using them for customers only so you'll see vip groups uh they're a place to get exclusive offers and you know you might uh, the brand might ask for your input, you know, on, on a new product design or, or or products to roll out, et cetera. For us, we took a, we used um, our private or use our private Facebook group more of an uh, as an acquisition tool. So it's not it's a mix of customers, you know, prospects or people that are just interested in jump rope or jump rope fitness. Um, or fitness in general, and I've just been exposed to uh, to jumping rope for the first time. So, the way we, like I mentioned early, we built that up is just offering, uh, you know, free fitness challenges. Basic landing page, you sign up, and then as part of that, uh, we had a place where you can go meet others who are participating in the same challenge. Uh, so you would go to the group, you join, and suddenly now you're meeting people from all across the world who are doing the same live event that you are. And when I say it's an acquisition tool, uh, what I mean is that we've seen a tremendous amount of success uh, by allowing or having like a new prospects exposed to our product by watching others use it. So... That's really where it's like been the greatest value for us. We don't need to like you know convince you to buy it's like here's the value up front you can use the challenge in any way you want you can use whatever rope you want um, it's still going to work but if you want the best results, we suggest you know uh, a range of weighted ropes which is what our product is. so now as a participant you're watching hundreds if not thousands of others using the product and you get inspired you get motivated and it becomes really its own. Selling machine. So we know that, you know, we're going to have uh, our conversions are going to be higher if we can get somebody, get members into this community. They don't need to become a customer to become a member. It's, it's free for everyone who's interested in Jump Rope Fitness. But we know that by having them there, they can get motivated, inspired, and most importantly, see others using the product. And people love. To be able to see, you know, others using the product, different ways of using the product, what it, it kind of gives them a feel of 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 what it's like. Especially for us, I mean, there's a very uh, long consideration period because nobody knows what you know weighted jump ropes are, what they feel like. You know, we're not we're not selling a pair of socks that are just a little different color, right? Where people know what socks are. So for us, there's a lot of education involved, and so the community sort of serves us the ability to showcase the product by having other customers using it. And so yeah, that's how we use the community. It's really just how do we deliver a ton of value to people who are interested in this lifestyle and allow other our existing customer base and you know motivate and inspire those to try the product
0: themselves. Yeah. It's like a it's an incredible source of uh, social proof user generated content. Oh, 100 percent Yeah and importantly it's kind of it's all in one place where these new customers new prospects have actually decided to to come to and join and check it out right it's it's not just seeing that one video on instagram or something it's they've made this decision to specifically join your facebook group and then they're seeing it and constantly seeing it
1: yeah what's beautiful about it is it's very authentic right so you mentioned the ugc it's it's basically just you know a library of ugc Um, and, you know, we, we jump in there and obviously as a brand, you know, we, we do announcements and we share some, some stuff, but really it's all about deliver value, 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 value. We want to keep people in there. We want to keep them engaged. We want to make sure that they have everything that they need to succeed in whatever their fitness journey is. And Hey, if along the way they want to experiment and try crossroads you know, it's, the, it's a perfect opportunity. But really, it's just bring people there, deliver value, and it's it's worked out well.
0: Yeah, and then you'll just see, you kind of see the end result out of it, right? Right.
1: Well, then they become the customer who inspires the next prospect.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that's great. And uh, and the third point, um, what was that around testing creative?
1: Yeah, just really, really investing in creative. Um, so early in the earlier years, we were very, you know, scrappy i guess is the word um not that we weren't investing uh in creative but over the past few years we we made that decision to really set aside a good chunk of the marketing budget to you know capture more footage test new you know test new messaging angles hooks get a a whole ton of uh footage you know, served us really well because we went into 2020 with this massive library of, of uh, creative that was available to us that we were able to chop and mix and match and really um, pop up messaging and different ads to speak to customers with everything that was going on last year. And that really was effective for us. We had some, for example, like we... Um, it was either the... Later stages of 2019 or early 2020, where it's like, hey, we need some home workout footage. This was well before you know uh, all the things with COVID happened. And then come early 2020 um, or March, April of 2020, we were suddenly like everybody was sitting at home and they needed a workout. And now we had this amazing home workout footage that we just chopped up. And it was like bananas once we got that up. So it's really just invested in this library that we've been able to really leverage and utilize, um, you know, for whatever the uh, to kind of meet the customers where they're
0: at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you got uh, reasonably lucky with that timing to to have actually planned to to get that content already, and then lockdown happened, and obviously everyone wants that home workout. But it's that. uh, I mean, did you? did you have plans to use that content anyway? Well, immediate plans, I mean, or was it just almost part of this whole, we've identified that we don't have this creative, so let's get the cre- this creative so that we can use it?
1: I mean, it's a little bit of both. Obviously, we want to use the creative that we should. We, we know creative has a certain shelf life. We have new models of the ropes coming out. So anytime that change is made. Some of the creative is no longer as useful because there's uh, an aesthetic difference to the product. So it's just not as as effective. So once we shoot something, we want to make use of that as soon as possible. Um, But no, I mean, it wasn't like... um, So so for our product, um, there are many value propositions that we can hit on. And the convenience of a home workout is one of them and we just did not have uh you know what we thought was great creative to really showcase that right so that's that was the the driver for getting that particular creative and yeah it was very lucky and fortuitous that we got that at the time that we did um and then you know it became our top performing creative of all time uh for you know not just because of what the creative was but really it was the timing so you know, for us, it's really like how can we capture the footage that we need, and then really lean on the chopping, and editing side of things um, to piece things together in the way we need to piece things together downstream. But it's a lot easier to do that than to have to like shoot footage. Um, you know, like last year, we would have been we would have been scrambling had we not had that.
0: Yeah, and do you, do you plan that footage? Do uh, so you almost plan it like a? a big campaign shoot and you think right we need creative for facebook instagram uh youtube uh we need stuff that we can use for retargeting uh, all the different aspect areas of the funnel you know plan plan a big creative piece so that you've got the ability to chop it up like you mentioned
1: yeah, for the most part, yes. Like we'll shoot, you know, and we'll shoot different intros, different outros. We we think ahead in terms of, hey, what are the all the types of things we might want to test? Obviously, if it's a YouTube from the YouTube side, you want to have as many different intro variations as you can since that's the most important part of the video. I mean, applies to most honestly most video platform type ads. So for us, I mean, it's really just thinking ahead. Like you said, capturing for all these different uh, touch points. You know, we want thinking about what it's going to look like if it's horizontal, if it's vertical, if it's square. You know, if it, uh, what's the intro going to look like at these different touch points? And we think through all that, try to capture as much footage as possible um, to make sure we round out all these touch points, and then you know the real job is done on the editing side.
0: Yeah yeah cool um, cool so what about challenges then what, what are the biggest challenges you guys have been facing maybe this last last year or, or anything that's ongoing at the moment?
1: yeah I mean I'd say in terms of challenges probably forecasting effectively uh, since 2020 was really just an anomaly year that maybe accelerated the business a few years similar to how it accelerated e-commerce in general um, it, what's what's happened over the past you know, six to nine months is, you know, it's been really uh, challenging to wrap my head around, um, you know, both with changes in the fitness ecosystem, as well as the changes within the advertising landscape. It's just made it really, really challenging to know <laughs> and forecast, uh, you know, the month, let alone, you know, the, the quarter or the year. So uh, these are things where we're paying super close attention to trends you know, speaking to a lot of other ecom owners and, and, and advisors, and uh, some of our agency partners, just to get a, a better sense of the macro effects and what other brands are seeing. So I think, you know, if, if things go up or if things come down, I'm, I'm I'm trying to assess whether this is a macro thing and other brands are experiencing a conversion rate dip or a conversion rate bump, or is this particular to us in our space in the jump rope? So. You know, for example, uh, if you search up like home workout in Google Trends, you'll see, you know, exactly what happened and what the picture is. It's just, you know, the interest in home workout is falling back to pre COVID levels, right? And we always knew that was going to be the case. It was just a question of over what time period was that going to happen? And now with, you know, uncertainty still with COVID and how that impacts, uh, decisions around what fitness, uh, I guess, uh, what fitness solution to pursue. Um, some people are going back to the gym. Other people have, you know, stayed at home. Some are abandoning their home workout equipment that they invested in. Others are, you know, continuing with the same. So just figuring out what behaviors from, you know, have that have come from 2020 or continuing in 2021 and trying to obviously, you know, do the best we can like every other brand with some of the privacy changes on the advertising side. It's really just ended up you know relying even more on creative uh, with, with less data it's just focusing more and more on making sure we're, we're, we're really hitting on the true val- functional benefits and value propositions for the for the brand and um, just trying to get really really creative um, with that and so, it's been a little bit sometimes felt like shooting in the dark or, you know, pressing the I believe button a little bit more often than we've done in the past, past few years. So I'd say those two, like the advertising landscape changes and then really trying to dial in on fitness trends and how things are settling um, to aggregate that and come up with a solid forecast. That's been definitely the, the hardest year to do that since, you know, last year was sort of a wash in terms of data.
0: Yeah. And I suppose, it, you know, it's one of these things where I, I, you, might have, you might have already seen this and have thought about it, but obviously, so massive spike during COVID with everyone, everyone locked down. You would obviously expect that to then drop back down once everything started opening up. People kind of desperate to go out, socialise, just do something different, right? You've been working out at home for nine months or a year, you might be thinking, I'm fed up with this. I want to go back to the gym. But then possibly you might get some people who actually go back to the gym and then go, well, actually, I'm not enjoying this as much as I used to enjoy my home workout. Or maybe you know people remote working or uh, more flexible working, meaning that actually they've decided to stick with the home workout. So I wonder if we'll see things drop back down, but then maybe just come back up a little bit. Obviously nowhere near... Lockdown levels, but just come yeah. back a bit as people go. Well, actually, um, maybe I do want to work out at home.
1: Yeah, I mean, your <laughs> where it all lands is your guess is as good as mine. I mean, it's really difficult to predict uh, those types of behaviors and where things land. I think like there it'll obviously be somewhere in the middle. It's just the question: does it lean more towards where it was uh, in the past, or where you know it sort of was forced to be? Uh, Last year, so uh, you know it's it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, It's going to be like you said. Some people what they think their behavior that their behaviors have changed. You know, maybe they haven't. Maybe their preferences have been completely shifted, and maybe they go back to you know to what they were. So I think it's it's a little bit of a guessing game, Um, but you know it's it ends up tying really closely to what we're forecasting in terms of you know for the year and how we're you know, making decisions on, on, you know, uh, inventory type stuff and factoring in supply chain issues. And so there are, there are a lot of complicated moving pieces. Um, so, I mean, if there's anything that's really the biggest challenge for the year, it would be, you know, just the, the implement implications of, of all those things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, One thing I wanted to ask about was obviously you're a, Quite a high AOV um, purchase, and I suppose probably maybe quite a low repeat purchase. Right, once mm-hmm. you've got the rope, you, you you're kind of set. So, how how do you go about maximizing that first purchase?
1: Yeah, we're definitely a uh, high AOV. Um, I wouldn't say low lifetime value brand. We we do have um, you know other types of. Uh, jump rope products that we that we sell to existing customers. We've got a we've got a subscription play with our cross app, um, and you know, with all that, we're still you know are laser focused on profitability on first purchase. Um, so to me, I think it comes down to three three things. I'm sure there are more, but three that come to mind. One, um, definitely lots of education at every stage of the funnel. Again, we spoke about it earlier. Jump rope fitness is a new category. We're sort of in this parallel. Um, we have this parallel challenge of not only growing cross rope as the leader of the jump rope fitness category, but which we are, uh, but also growing the jump rope fitness category itself. Um, and so to, to accomplish that, there's just a lot of education involved with, you know, um, Explaining uh, and, and inviting and incentivizing people to give jump rope training a try. You know, it is proven to be one of the most effective and efficient workouts. Um, you know, compared to running and rowing and some of these other uh, options that people have. So there's just a lot of education involved at every stage of the funnel. Why jump rope? Why jump rope fitness? Why cross rope? Why weighted ropes? You know, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we think about that a lot um, in terms of how we educate uh, at every stage of the funnel. Two would be just a really effective guarantee. So we've got a 60 day money back, uh, no questions asked guarantee. Like we let people buy the ropes, you know, use them for 60 days for as much as they want, you know, uh, any surface, like use them as however you want. And within 60 days, if you don't absolutely love them, um, we'll take them back in whatever condition. So, we just want to make it uh, a no-brainer from that side of things. like Because we know and we, we've, it's, we've proven that once you try the product, um, you're going to love it. You're not gonna, you'll understand uh, why everyone's talking about weighted jump ropes, right? It's, it's really difficult to explain in words and even in video. But once you try it for yourself and you've got a one-pound rope turning around the body and every muscle group is engaged to keep control of that rope, you'll realize like, oh, okay, I get it now. I understand what these weighted ropes are about, and which is why we have a low return uh, return rate. And so we're trying to make it as easy as possible for people to try it, Which is, so the guarantee really helps with that, and we try to lean on it at every touch point, right? And I'd say the third one is just really maximizing and leveraging all the reviews and testimonials and great customer stories that we have. Like, I believe... When I looked last we had about 17,000 five star reviews. Like you don't have 17,000 five star reviews if your product isn't great. If it doesn't do, you know, get the job done, right? And so, you know, all of these sort of come together to really just hey, how can we get you to try the product, right? We know it's really difficult for you to get a sense of uh what it feels like, but go ahead, you know, just try it. Um you know, use it for 60 days, use our app for free, try all the workouts, try some of the challenges that we've got live every month, try a program, you know, use some of the features. If you don't love it, if this isn't for you, or if you don't get it, like, hey, we'll, we'll take it back and we appreciate for, you, know, you for trying it. But, but it's really just like, how do we educate at every stage of the funnel so they understand as best as possible where the value is with Jump Rope Fitness? Why it works so well, you know. So really get them to buy in on that through showing different success stories, uh, maximizing reviews and testimonials, and then just making it a no brainer for them, you know, uh, with the with the money back guarantee. So those are, that's how we maximize first purchase.
0: Do you ever do any sort of uh, not maybe not overly heavy, but kind of decent discounting for new customers?
1: Yeah, I mean we're being a high AOV. Uh, product in the premium sort of like a premium product we, we do have some room to work with on the margins to be able to offer uh, discounts we are really conscious of what those are like we don't want to be a discount brand uh, but we know you know for that discounts work so it's really just Finding and striking that right balance. So yeah, we do like, if you go on the site right now, you'll, you'll, to, you'll be able to save up to 50 bucks on a, on our bundle, which is our two uh, weighted jump rope sets combined together to give you the full range of weighted ropes. Um, and we know, you know, we've done our, you know, our uh, contribution margin and blended discount percentages. And we we've looked at all the numbers and felt uh, you know, That this is the best offer that we can um, give to to customers, and so, but we're constantly looking at that. We're constantly refining that. Um, So, yeah, discounting does play a a role, but I wouldn't say it plays as big of a role as it does for
0: some other brands. Yeah, so you, you know, use them strategically. You know, you're careful with them, but like you said, that that there's that main focus on really convincing the customer that this is actually the right product for them, and it's going to be a great product for them. And if they still don't yeah. like it, they can just send it back, whereas yeah exactly uh, I, I think a lot of brands do get uh, caught in that trap of almost like overly incentivizing that purchase, so the customer's not necessarily fully convinced it's the right product. they're just thinking, uh, well, you know why not? I'll just give it a go because I've got a discount, I've got free shipping, free returns yeah and and you probably will get higher return rates because people i mean i i know i do it right uh, with certain products where i've got a great deal or something and i've made that impulse purchase and it probably sits in the box for about 10 days and then sometimes i just ship it back because i'm not actually that interested might open yeah. it up have a look but but that never happens with a product where i've been properly educated about it and i'm going all right this this is the right thing for me
1: yeah i mean the, the that's get right uh Whole PhD thesis on discounting strategies and, and the psychological implications of that. So, I mean, it can be a drug as a brand, as we all know. Like we know it's going to drive conversions. Whether it's going to bring you the right type of customers, um, that's you know for you for for every brand to sort of experiment with. I think, like you said, you know you. And especially for us, like maximizing first purchase and being profitable on the first purchase, like we we're not a uh, the type of brand that can offer a super steep discount to get a customer. Then we sort of uh, make it up on the back end, right? We we to me, I mean, discounts. It's really interesting to actually look at the data. Sometimes I don't know how many brands do that, like. You can offer a great, I've seen this on Black Friday, right? You you offer a fantastic discount and there are certain people that still buy without the discount. Like there are people who will buy without discounting. And I think people, brands become scared once they get hooked on the whole discounting strategy is, if we don't offer a discount, nobody's going to buy. And that's just not the case. So I think it's just, it's okay to experiment and try, you know, pulling back on discounts. Yeah, of course, you know, volumes are going to fall, but you might find that you end up actually be, being more profitable than you when, than you are when, uh, when you do offer discounts. So it's really just dialing in on that contribution margin and understanding what role discounts play, um, in the purchasing behavior. Cause especially like for us where, you know, uh, it's not, it's not a cheap product. Um, I mean, Depends on what you're comparing it to, but you know, it's one of the largest and, and the highest volume in terms of objections we get like, hey, it's really expensive, right? And so, you know, there are other mechanisms for how to counter that other than to just discount. So, I think it's just it's really, um, it's, I enjoy looking at other brands in my own shopping behaviors, and I'm it's really interesting. Like, uh, there are some brands I bought a mattress recently. And you know the brand just offered no discount, but I liked the product. I thought it, you know, they sold it really well, and I ended up buying it. So what, you know, our th- customers, of course, were all conditioned to look for and seek for discounts. I even, you know, I even messaged customer service and said, "Hey, um, do you guys have any discounts?" They said, "No, we don't do discounts." Like they don't even have a, a coupon code yeah, to like function. yeah, field in their function. checkout. They just removed it. So. And I thought that was amazing. I uh, really, really like. I mean, as a consumer, I wish I could have saved a little bit, but as, a, you know, being in the e-commerce space, I thought that was fascinating. So I think just there can't be a fear. Uh, you, you can't feel trapped, you know, with the, with the discounting drug.
0: Yeah. Well, we had, a, there was a story on this podcast um, back in one of, one of the first episodes, actually, about how a brand um, discovered through, uh, through email subject line testing that they didn't need to discount. And they suddenly they were making about 40% more revenue by just removing the discounts. Because what they were doing was sending out you know, every week, here's 30% off this these lines of products, here's 40% off here, and, and did kind of get into that fear of, if we stop discounting, we're going to lose these sales. And then the subject line testing proved that, yeah, people didn't care. People didn't want the discounts, they wanted the products. And if they're quality products, people will buy it. There are some brands, there's a, there's a really well-known uh, supplements and nutrition brand in the UK who are well-known for discounting. And it's it's to that point where they go, they go heavy on it in emails all the time. Now, I remember Black Friday last year, I probably got 20 emails in the space of a few days, just all about their sales. And they. I, I get the feeling they might be one of those brands now which does struggle if they remove the discounts. Because it's... It's not yeah. just a an occasional discount that you look out for it's if you you go to that website you will you feel like you will never even accidentally purchase something full price from them
1: yeah it's it's very interesting and I mean when you look at brands like that you know in the in the consumable space or you know like uh they're playing a different game they're not they're Definitely not profitable on first purchase, or maybe even first couple purchases. But uh, I'm sure they've done the math on what a le- what lifetime value a customer will bring, you know. And for those types of brands, like the the heavy promos and the high first purchase discounts, may just very well work really well. Um, whereas for brands like ours, where you know we wouldn't exist if we if we tried to execute the same model, right? So. It's it's really brand dependent, I you know, and that's why I enjoy looking at what other brands are doing and just really trying to think through, you know, what their thought process was um, for their discounting strategy, et cetera. And more and more brands are pulling back on discounts, which I think is a good move. Um, so again, to me, it's like it's a great example, but you know, it's one of those where it's like that might actually work probably very well for them. Um, you know, if, uh, if you stay on as a customer and keep getting their whey protein or whatever it might be, and they actually have a good product and a good customer experience, you know,
0: I do have a feeling it's one of these spaces where once you find a product you like, you find it very difficult to switch because you, you like the taste, you think it works for you or, you know, it works for you and you're reluctant to make that change. Yeah. And so potentially if they did start removing those discounts, maybe gradually, carefully, people will just stick with them because they like the product, they know the product. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could think of other examples, but uh, I think it's it's all about experimenting uh, for what works for your brain and really trying to put some thought and effort into that.
0: Yeah. Um, One other thing I wanted to touch on, um, MPS scores. Um, uh, you also mentioned reviews earlier as well, which is obviously really important, but just wanted to touch on uh, actual MPS and uh, how you guys use it, how you how you deal with the insight that you get there.
1: Yeah, NPS is definitely one of our core KPIs. It's something we look at on a weekly basis. We're not overly reactive on it. Um, It's more following patterns and trends and really trying to um, periodically dive a little bit deeper into the different types of um, trends that come from that. Like What are people mentioning more and more? Um, But I'd say in terms of you know how we are using it. You know we look at uh, obviously passives and detractors very closely. You know most detractors are handled, I'd say, immediately by our customer service staff because more often than not, it's a customer service related issue. Um, the passive, though, passives, to me, I feel like are a bit of a goldmine. Um, so the marketing team, we we look closely at passives. Um, these are the individuals again that sort of felt that. There was just something missing um, from having an experience that was worth talking about, which is really important, right? You want people to have the type of experience with your product so that, hey, when jumping rope or work, or let's just say, hey, uh, somebody's talking about their workout. We want our customers to have had good enough experience, a great experience. So they're like, oh, I got to tell you about this workout that, that I'm doing right now, right? We want them to... Uh, So with the passives, we just want to really talk to them and figure out what was it that was missing? What are those one or two touch points? And we'll do that. We'll email them. We'll get on phone calls and really try to dissect and understand what was missing so that we can include that either in our marketing or in our product development. Um, So that's how we look at the passives. I think that that is a really great area for marketing teams to dig into, especially if you've got a high response rate. so to us, like passives, really offered some great um, insights, and then the promoters. Obviously, you want as many promoters as, as possible in terms of how it feeds into the marketing. Is, is pretty straightforward. We we've gotten some of the best ad copy from our promoters, and again, what's what I love about these, you know, people have. Had a chance to use the product. It's usually early on in their product use, so they're usually sort of getting some of their first impressions. Um, so we've been able to really pull out some great ad copy. You know, whether it's just a quote or a little bit of an interesting angle on a particular value proposition. Um, so that's how we use NPS. I mean, yeah, it's 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 a great indicator of how we're trending from a you know customer experience standpoint, um, and then. Each sort of serves its own way of of feeding into like the, the, the marketing or product development improvements.
0: Yeah, uh, and when when do you collect it? Is it uh, a couple of weeks after they they receive the product? That's right.
1: Yeah, two weeks after. The, so I feel like, and of course, it's not going to hit on everybody. You mentioned earlier sometimes you buy some stuff and you haven't opened the box yet. So I feel like you know two weeks is efficient amount of time to open the box, you know, download the app and really try at least a couple of the workouts, right? It goes back to what I was saying earlier. Like, you, by now you should have a little bit of a sense of this, what this whole weighted jump rope fitness thing is about. Um, and that's when we try to hit them. Hey, if they haven't opened the product, then at least it serves as a reminder to go open it.
0: Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, you. what, what is like a, a, a low... Like a, a kind of minimum first purchase that someone could make, because you, you mentioned it's relatively expensive. So I would have thought that that kind of plays into that activation piece as well, right? If you're spending a fair bit of money on something. You're probably going to want to try it pretty soon after you get it.
1: Yeah, I mean, we based on our high response rate, uh, what is, you know my hypothesis that we people generally open the package uh, immediately or soon after receiving it. Um, we don't get a lot of, oh, I haven't had a chance to, you know, open the box yet type of responses. Like, like I've seen with some or heard of some for some other brands. Um, so yeah, I mean, for us, and again, it's, you know, our core products, we don't have a lot of SKUs, like we've got really three options, which is the Get Lean set, which is sort of the, the lower price point, lighter jump rope combo set. And then we've got the Get Strong set, which is, you know, you got your one and two pound ropes. So these are your uh, your heavier ropes. And then the bundle is sort of those, you, you purchase those two products together. So um, that's where, you know, the majority of our purchases come from, unless we've got, you know, we've got some other accessories and whatnot that, that play a part too. But um, to your point, you know, those those are all high price point items, um, and you know, those are the the customers that are receiving the NPS responses. So they're the likely the ones excited, um, you know, to put the ropes to use.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, cool. Uh, is, was there anything else you wanted to to kind of mention? Uh, anything else you think you're doing quite like something special that you guys are doing? We kind of covered ill.
1: I feel, doing, I
0: feel like we're doing
1: a lot of a lot of special things. I think, yeah, it's. I don't know. I, the e-com space in general is just really interesting right now with all the, ch- you know, with the the shifts on the advertising side and how that is manifesting into different strategies for for a lot of different brands. So, I mean, for us, we're we're still. Um, I, I don't want to say overly indexed, but you know. Uh, indexed enough on some of these uh, paid media platforms that were that are becoming more and more expensive, difficult to get proper attribution. Not, you know, and uh, it forces you as a brand to really, you know, get scrappy. Again. So a lot, a lot of the last, you know, th- this year's felt like some of the earlier crossroads. Like, hey, you know, if we were starting from scratch, how would we do this? What would we do? What are all the different Types of uh, sales and traffic generating initiatives that we could um, that we could try that we could pursue that we could test. Obviously, TikTok, for example, is the one that a lot of brands are jumping on. Um, how do we how do we experiment? How do we try that? How do we give it a proper try before you know to vet to see if it's worth adding more time, effort, and resources towards in the coming year? So for us, I mean, a lot of the you know, the really fun and interesting stuff is just like, what are some of the, you know, can be paid, but a lot of these are like unpaid type of experiments that we can try um, to really like get guerrilla, get scrappy to get, you know, to generate brand awareness. So one of the things that we've been, you know, experimenting with is like just product gifting, you know? Um, so super difficult channel to attribute any sort of, uh, revenues towards, but you know who are the, the interesting and influential people um, that we can get the product in their hands again. Once with the hypothesis that once they try it, you know they'll they'll end up liking it. So one manifestation of that is uh, you know we were able to get uh, some some free uh ugc from steve aoki just because he ended up getting the product really liked it started shooting some jump rope videos with it and we know you know steve aoki's obviously very influential and very well connected are we going to see a massive revenue or sales bump from that no but i feel like if we can get the product into the hands of the right people kind of like malcolm gladwell talks about in, um i oh mean what was the book uh Oh man, escaping me. Um, but I'll remember it. Where he talks about how ideas uh, spread through different types of people. Um, this is our sort of play at it. Um, how do we get the, cro- the the product in the hands of of interesting people and, and let the let the the word spread organically? Sort of not obviously as the only play, but just another like, hey, we've got we've got inventory that we can work with. Um, how can we sort of use it in, the, in, a, in a strategic way um, to get people, you know, to build brand awareness and get people talking about the
0: product? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it's interesting you mentioned TikTok. I spoke to, to Jason Wong of uh, Doe Lashes uh, recently. He said TikTok, they, they brought someone in to manage it, um, didn't go particularly well, uh, and then hired someone who basically lived and breathed TikTok. So they actually went and instead of just like a social media manager who understands TikTok, they went and got an actual TikToker, something yeah. <laughs> uh, to, to run the account, and and that's worked amazingly well for them. Um, but I suppose it, it is a different channel, right? It's it's yeah. it's not like Instagram or Facebook where you can get that content created. You've got to be yeah yeah really yeah, involved. Been, there.
1: TikTok's fascinating. It's funny you mentioned that because we just had a you know, leadership meeting about last week where, you know, TikTok was on the agenda. And it's like, hey, we, you want to crack this thing? You pretty much have to go find a TikToker. Like, I think that was like on the, you know, I don't think this is a, you know, a social media specialist or manager type of initiative only because the platform is so new uh, and so different. It's centered around content and not around Influencers, right? It's not the content creators, it's content itself that people are consuming. And so, you know, the TikTokers, the ones who live and breathe this thing, are the ones who know uh, what the trends are and what to experiment with and, you know, how to really create uh, authentic and engaging content for the platform. Um, and so, yeah, 100% agree. And I keep seeing these like, TikTok job placements, um, you know, for different brands. Like people are starting to put more and more resources towards this. I don't know if these are contract positions or full time positions, uh, but it is really interesting to see. And, And nobody I'm talking to is going on the TikTok prospect, you know, paid prospecting, you know, train. Everybody's just going the organic route, working with content creators, you know, bringing in people in-house to create content, for so instance, it's interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was probably... I, I had an episode on TikTok uh, probably a year ago. I think it was last June, June, July, when when they were just opening up the advertising platform to people. Yeah. Um, and, and they did mention that the the attribution wasn't great. Um, some of the, you know, the, the tracking is nowhere near as refined as something like Facebook. So... Yeah. Look where Obviously, now. yeah. <laughs> if if you're struggling with the content side and you're struggling with that tracking attribution, it's going to be a really really difficult traf- uh channel. Yeah. Um, but also, it sounds like if you can nail the organic side anyway, the content side anyway, do you need the paid side at the moment? I mean,
1: you know, everything eventually gets saturated, um, or you know, or too expensive where it doesn't make sense anymore um so i think you just got to find find that wave and ride it for as long as possible um while always allocating a small percentage of your resources towards finding that next wave like that's really really what it's about Um, i think the the big players with facebook and instagram and google etc they'll they'll be there for some for some time to come Um, you know, the, I think the strategies that brands are deploying will have to change to accommodate for, you know, the rising costs and for the, the you know, the, uh, I guess, um, the less data that's available uh, to make decisions on, etc. Um, I think TikTok is a great place for brands to experiment with right now, probably won't work you know, for every brand, uh, the, the promise of virality is, is always really appealing, uh, but difficult to actually, to actually crack, um, YouTube advertising, I still think is a really, uh, is really open, um, for brands to take advantage of. I mean, we've been trying to really crack the code of YouTube advertising for some time. Um, and we've had, you know, uh, a wide array of success, you know, a lot of flops, some good, some good ad, you know, uh, performing ads, but it's a it's a tricky one. Um, but that is another area for us. I mean, that's that's a focus uh, that doesn't that, that still feels a little bit new and raw, even though it's been around for for a little bit longer, obviously, than um, TikTok platform. So that's another area. Um, you know, I'd encourage brands, especially ones that have seen performance. Uh, a uh, strong performance from video type uh, creatives, right? Like that's obviously, you know, YouTube's made for that. Although it requires a little bit of a different formula than what you'd use on on uh, Facebook or Instagram, right? So that's another yeah. one we're pursuing, and I'm sure other brands are seeing uh,
0: success with. Yeah, yeah, and I think obviously for a brand like yours, uh, that that video piece works really well, right? Especially if you can build in that UGC, actually show off real people using it. Yeah, um, you, you would have thought that's the sort of creative that would uh, would work pretty well.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, so, but again, it's a it's an experiment experimentation game uh, all around. So you just got to keep at it. Um, what applies to you know YouTube's not going to apply to TikTok, so it's sort of got to take it. You know, different um, different strategies. So, and I mean, that's the fun part about you know some of this uh, of, of this ecom uh, game, right? It's it's you know. You, you, there's, there's, a, there's hundreds if not thousands of combinations that could work. You just got to try a lot of different uh, locks until you find something that works and then just ride that for, for as long as you can. But you got to keep looking for that next one. So that's where we're at right now. I'm um, just really trying to unlock those next few channels. As I'm sure a lot of other brands are with, with everything that's happening.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. Um, it's been great stuff. So just just really quickly before we finish, um, is there anyone in the, the kind of D2C space that you'd really want to have lunch with?
1: Um, I'd say uh, Nick Sharma, maybe. Um, uh, I really enjoy following and listening to anybody who has had an opportunity to take an inside look uh, at a lot of uh, different types of e brands with different business models different price points different strategies uh so obviously he's invested in some great dtc brands and has an inside look you know at what's working um at these at these uh at these brands so yeah i mean he's one of them um there's a lot of other like uh Individuals um, of that nature who work with multiple brands. I mean, to me, that's you can get a lot of amazing insights uh, into what's working going back to that macro uh, concept that I was mentioning earlier. I'm super interested to know, like, hey, what's working uh, in aggregate and not just for one or two brands. So, Nick's one of those guys. He has a great um, newsletter as well uh, where he talks about some of these things. I've been following him there. Uh, Yeah,
0: probably him. Awesome. Cool. I have to see if I can get him on the podcast. Sure. <laughs> um, cool. And and just very finally, then uh, there, is there any kind of marketing tool that you you can't live without day to day usage?
1: Oh, um, well, obviously you've got your obvious answers like Shopify's and Klaviyo's. Um, I'd say I wouldn't say it's day to day. Obviously, my like my day to day would be Asana. Love Asana and its ability to sort of. Um, but I wouldn't say that's marketing-based. I'd say, um, even though it's not day-to-day, like we use this post-purchase tool called Inquire. Not sure if you've uh, heard of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a Shopify app uh, that allows you to ask customers how they found out about you, amongst other questions after
0: purchase. I think I do. It might have been mentioned to me before, quite recently, actually. Yeah, it's that post-purchase. Yeah, like how did you find us?
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's like a post-purchase survey, and honestly, it 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 provides some like super insightful um, data on where people actually heard about you. So, just as an example, like I know, like with influencers, like last-click type attribution, even with coupon codes, is sometimes really difficult to um, to uh, you know get perfect or get right in terms of attribution so what might look like a really terrible you know influencer campaign on the last click side or coupon side was like when we did the post purchase survey, they were one of like the strongest performers. Uh, so it's just this is coming direct from the customer right they're they're typing in the influencer, Right. And so they're telling you where they heard about it, something that just gets lost along the way. So it just gives you another sort of, uh, you know, uh, ROAS type assessment, right? And gives you another layer of data to consider when you're making a decision on, hey, where should we put our marketing dollars towards, right? So it's really changed our decisions on some things. uh, Whereas if we looked at, you know, platform data, Or last click data, we may have just written it off immediately. So I think for us, you know, especially in today's day and age with less, you know, with data becoming um, less available. Here's an opportunity, super simple way to gather uh, insights from customers on you know, where they heard about you. And then we use subsequent questions as well. We try to include a couple extras for those who answer the first one. And if you've got questions like, hey, what's your primary goal? You know, So that's a, that's a great one for us. Like, Why did you buy this product? What specific problem are you trying to solve? Now we've got this like amazing uh, data directly from our customers. At the point of purchase uh, that we can use for improving marketing. So again, it's not a day-to-day thing, but it's I would highly recommend any D2C brand go check out Inquire. It's not super expensive, but it's gonna give you some amazing data um, and ability to, to capture and get answers to some really interesting questions that you might have for your customers. And, and the response
0: rate is, is, is amazing. Cool. All right. That's been awesome stuff. Really, uh, yeah, really, really interesting. It's been great learning about CrossRope. Um, if anyone wants to like, reach out or just kind of follow me on social, where, where are the best places?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'm mostly active on LinkedIn. So my full name is Surgeon Popovich, uh, CMO at CrossRope, not too hard to find. Uh, if you ever want to check out the ropes, you know, check out CrossRope.com um, and you'll, you'll see what, what it's all about.
0: Awesome. Cool. All right. Thanks, Edge.
1: Well, thanks for having me on the show, man. Appreciate
0: it. Cheers. It can be really tempting to reach out to as many influencers and affiliates as possible but as you heard from Serge it's definitely worth the time finding the really relevant top influencers who are going to be really excited about promoting a brand and are going to work with you on that. Community's also been crucial to Crossroad. They've built an amazing community of people and it's not just limited to customers which makes it a great acquisition tool. They give away plenty of free challenges, they get the community engaged, they use it to generate UGC, and all of this in turn then convinces other people this must be a good idea and they want to purchase the products. So if you've got a brand that would benefit from a similar community, it'd definitely be worth exploring and maybe even a chat with Serge and you can find him on LinkedIn. Any other podcast questions, feedback, guest requests, please send them over to will at customerswho or tweet me at Will Next up, I've got Lor Fiatowa joining me and we're going to be talking about how Helix Sleep has grown not just as an individual brand, but how they've actually created a group of brands to maximize customer value. But until then, keep those customers clicking.